Folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Thanks for joining us here on Monday nights. We record these while we're playing in the nightly home game over on Poker Stars, trying to steal each other's chips. Um, if you don't know what Rec Poker is about, I guess I should introduce us. Uh, we are a largely volunteer-based organization. We're recreational, thoughtful, amateur poker players who just love having fun with this game of poker. We study together. We learn together. We learn from each other's mistakes. We celebrate together. Uh, we have a great time doing it. And you can get a free account by heading over to rec.poker today. All it takes is an email address and a smile. We insist on both. Um, I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and I have to thank the wrecking crew because we couldn't do a dang thing over here if it wasn't for the uh, men and women who pour their hearts into what we do at Rec Poker. No one does that with more fervor and enthusiasm than the wrecking crew. It takes a crew. And if you want to find out more about me and the rest of the wrecking crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. Uh, but listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here tonight. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5v5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Kim Kilroy, Pat Bat or Pat Bat 33, most places, Fergie 56 in the home game. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman 50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Mass. I'm at Taylor underscore Mass on Twitter and Gopherboy TJM in the home game. And uh, the Wrecking Crew, like I say, they are very active participants in all of our learning material, the study groups, the book studies, uh, the strategy discussions, the play and hangs. Uh, these are the people that make all the magic happen. Um, but the other people that we depend on so immensely are our premium members. Uh, one of the perks of being a premium member is that you get to jump in here on the forums editions of the podcast every week. Uh, this week, we've got Eric Anderson in the house. Uh, regular listeners will be very familiar with Eric. He's a prolific poster in the forums and an insightful uh, guy who has been sharing his uh, his thoughts on various poker subjects in our study groups uh, along as we go including the book study, which is something we're going to talk about today. But Eric, thanks for joining us on the show. Why don't you tell folks where they can find you in the home game? Hi, I'm E. Anderson, 85 at Rick.Poker and in the home game. Right on. Well, thanks for joining us, Eric. Um, we are going to be looking at a post tonight um, from Rob Washam that sort of take, I'm going to take you guys behind the curtain a little bit into the book study. So we run the book study here, Rob's I've been doing this for quite a while now. We take all sorts of great poker books and we uh, review them together under Rob's guidance. Uh, he puts together these slides chapter by chapter. He leads these conversations that we have every two weeks. And um, he also runs the forum where we get to share a lot of cool uh, files and images and charts and databases and that kind of stuff that help us really get to the bottom of what we're studying each uh, each month in the book study. So, uh, Rob, you put up a post today. We're doing the poker the poker brain by Matt Matros, and um, you put up a post just before uh, the new year talking about um, constructing our range into buckets. And you uh, put an awesome spreadsheet together. And this post really elicited a lot of response um, from people like Chris and Eric and some other people that have been uh, taking part in the book study. Can you just talk a little bit about what this means to have different buckets for our hands, why it's important, and kind of what this exercise was like for you? And you are in Somsky mode right now, which is our way of say, Som- saying that people Som- are muted. Sorry. 
Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, we were we were going through optimal concept, optimal play concept two in the poker brain last uh, our last session, and there was some. We brought up the term that Matt Matros brought up called buckets, and it's not a it's not a unique concept. I mean, we talked about that a little bit in modern poker theory. We talked about equity buckets. So it's the same type of thing. And and in this concept here, we're talking about all the hands in your range can be put into different buckets. So there's buckets of hands that you're going to play exactly the same way, regardless of of the um, circumstances, let's say. So when you have a you see a specific flop, there's going to be a group of hands in your range that you're going to play a certain way. Another group of hands you're going to play a, a different way. So let's just and I I use it just a quick example. And for one thing, in this example, I am not saying that this is the way you should play these hands. <laughs> I just took a range and I started and I just randomized a flop. And then I took the all the hands in that range. I'm the in position. I'm under the gun. I've raised pre-flop and I get called by the big blind with a 60 big blind stack. I use the I use the standard GTO range for my starting range. And then I just said, okay, um, and and I'm gonna be checked to. You know, pretty much the big blind's always gonna check to me. So what hands do I bet? and fold to a raise that's one bucket of hands so all these hands i would play the same way and then here's a range of hands that i would bet and call a check raise and what what does that group of hands look like so that's a bucket another bucket there's another bucket which is a bet re-raise so there's here's a bucket of hands that i'm going to bet and if i get ray check raised i'm going to re-raise him and then there's hands that I'm going to check. And then how does that, how do those hands relate to the flop? And when do I check them? When do I bet them? When do I bet raise? And and have an idea before I before I perform my action, whether it's bet or check, I have an idea of how all these hands are going to fit in all of those different buckets. Yeah, that that's the real key, it seems, Rob, is for each decision point that you're going to be faced, having an idea, just kind of like looking down the road a little bit so that you can anticipate, because you get to this point with, with your entire range of hands that open from that position pre-flop. So you've got a pretty wide range at this point, and then you're just kind of deciding in advance, what am I planning to do with the different parts of this range? And, and so you you put them into buckets. Um, mm-hmm. So I like this idea of, there's only so many buckets that you could need according to any given spot. And you lay it out here, you know, when you're checked to there's the hands that you can check behind or the hands that you can bet. Those are your only options available to you. Um, If you check behind, that's the end of the decision point. Now you get a turn, you get new information. Now you have to start thinking about a new starting range and the new buckets that you might introduce at this point. Um, And then when you, the, the part of your range that bets, and I think this is the spot that people get i don't want to say they're not they're not lazy they're just not thinking far enough ahead to anticipate well sometimes when i bet they're gonna raise me and how are the different parts of my range going to respond to that raise 
And if you don't have an idea in your mind already, then you can get put into an uncomfortable position because, you know, people say this all the time. It's like, I made the bet and then he raised me. I'm like, what, what do I do now? <laughs> like, well, that's, that's something you should have thought about when you made your bet because it's one of the very predictable outcomes um, that's available to, to our opponent. So, Rob, is that, um, is that this, the basic concept that we're talking about here? That's basically uh, what Matt Matros is using as a way of the, the optimal play concept number two is called think ahead. And so the way you think ahead is by taking your entire range and breaking it into these buckets so that you can anticipate what you're going to do with those specific set of hands. And the key again is I think a lot of people think in terms of their hand. You know, what am I going to do with this hand? When in reality, you need to be thinking about what you're going to do with your entire range. And then there's a range within the range that you're going to play in the same manner. So by doing that, you make yourself um, less predictable than you would if you weren't taking this approach. And so how do we, and I'll open this up to the entire panel. So like Chris, you responded here um, and you kind of listed out the different hand combinations that you might put in the different buckets here. Um, I think people kind of understand intuitively, well, my, my very strongest hands I'm going to play for value. And I might, I might raise uh, if they might, you know, re-raise if they raise, um, or I might decide to trap to paste on the board at their weakest hands, they're probably going to fold or check behind. Um, how how can we kind of decide what to do with some of those middle hands? And like, how important is it to have, a, you know, a certain number of them in each bucket? Do we need a bucket for each one of these? And that kind of thing, Chris, when you were looking at these particular hand combos, how did you decide which ones to put in which buckets? Well, I've been trying to do, I mean, I guess I, I would almost even uh, challenge the assumption you just made there, I've been trying to do a lot of work with, um, and this has been changing the way I think about these spots, but kind of the idea of, of reverse hierarchy. Um, so that like on a, the, the example that we were given was an eight high flop. It was a flop. Uh, so in this under the gun opens, big blind calls, the flop was... I forget what the suits were. Uh, eight of diamonds, eight. seven of diamonds, four of spades looks right. like. If I right. So it's a, it's a low flop. It's a two-tone flop. It's eight high. Um, and so one way to think about a flop like that is, number one, it's fairly, even though we as the under-the-gun opener have a lot of like big pairs and lovely things like that, this is a fairly friendly or advantageous flop for the big blind. So that what that means to me is that we, as the uh, in-position player, needs to need to have a more expanded checking range. Um, that we and that checking range needs to include some strong hands. Well, okay, which strong hands? And this is where that idea of reverse hierarchy. Well, a hand like eight, like basically nines through aces. Let's take all our over pairs, right? A hand like aces 
needs no protection at this point, right? Like you cannot out over, there's no overcard to the aces. Kings need less, you know, or, or need a little bit more, but the only card they fear is an ace really, right? Uh, if they're not already losing. Um, and so those are the, like aces and kings become really attractive checkbacks here to protect the strength of our checking ha- range while hands like nines and tens become very attractive bets because they're vulnerable to those overcards coming. Does that sort of make sense? And so like mm-hmm. thinking about, and then you can think about it all, you know, that's just the overpair segment. You can think about other types of hand classes and think about where, how do we manufacture this so that our checking range has some of the garbage in it, but also has some strength in it as well. That and that's kind of like sense. what Rob was talking about, about not being predictable, right? About having kind of some balance in those ranges as well. Um, and Chris, uh, my only other question to follow up on that a little bit is, so do you, when you're thinking about that, do you think about like having a certain ratio of of bluffs to value? Is it a question of having like the same number of combos or like a two to one ratio or something like that? How do you decide which ones to include and which ones to put in a different bucket? Yeah, I mean, we should, you know, the the more aggressive actions that we take, the more those, you know, should uh, start to weight weight towards towards value. We still need bluffs in those ranges, but we need to weight them. The more aggressive we get, the more like for re-raising a raise and that kind of thing, that needs to start to weight more towards value because we're otherwise we're gonna because it's gonna narrow our opponent's range as well. Is that answer your was that your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think so. Another Rob? another thing to think about in in making up that um ratio, I guess you could say, is the size of your continuation bet. Mm. will have a lot lot to do with the ratio of value to bluffs that you should have in your range. And that's funny because we talked about that in optimal place um, concept number one. <laughs> we talked about, or just right at the beginning of the book, we talked about what are your bluffing ratios based on the bet size. And we have actually a post in there about that too, that I think uh, Eric got some, Garrick put some stuff out there on that too. So we have, this is some of the major concepts that we've been talking about each month. We've been kind of throwing some stuff out there on the on the forums. And so, yeah, I think the bet size is the most important consideration when you're t- determining how much value to bluffs you should have in each of those buckets. That's a great point. And also, um, and you know, we can, we can take the same process and use it on a, in a completely different part of the game too, like uh, pre-flop. There's a lot of opportunities to think about different buckets Um, when you're in a situation where, let's say, you're opening the pot from middle position or late position. You have a a full range of hands that you're going to take that opening raise action with. And then just like in this situation, you should have already in mind an expectation of, okay, if I get three bet from someone from the blinds, for instance, Here's some of the hands I'm going to fold. Here's some of the hands I'm going to call. Here's some of the hands I'm going to four bet with. And the hands that are in those buckets might change depending on, okay, am I in position or am I out of position? Who is the opponent? What are the stack sizes? Where are we in the tournament? But the buckets remain. You're still going to have those options available to you. And when you make that opening raise, um, you should really be thinking about which 
where are these hands going to go? Every hand in your range has to go into one of these buckets eventually. So uh, thinking ahead a little bit can save you that uncomfortable moment where you're facing a raise and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't I have no idea what to do with this exact combination of hands that I see in front of me right now. Eric, did you have a comment there? Uh, it just kind of goes with um, look to your left. Mm. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to raise this seven, six suited, I look to my left and this guy is three betting every hand. Maybe I, maybe I'll call a seven, six suited, maybe not, but mm -hmm. I, I know what I'm getting into when I know he's going to three bet me. Um, and another thing about the buckets, the easiest way I, I understand the buckets is just looking at a solver output. Um, you know, we've been trained to do these one third pot bets, two third pot bets, fold and all in. Those are four buckets right there mm -hmm. um, just for our opening range. Um, and then we go on to the flop and we have four more buckets. Um, but just look one card ahead. If I'm going to open this hand, what does my flop solver output look like? Yeah, I like that. Um, that reminds me of a comment that uh, Nate Mavis uh, would make on the Thinking Poker podcast uh, from time to time when he was con sort of deciding what action to take next. Um because Rob made this really good point about the ratio of bluffs to value hands in your range having to do a lot with the size of the bet that you're making. Um, and you might find yourself in a spot in a, in a game of poker and know that to put the right amount of pressure on your opponent, you need to use a, a bet size or a raise size of X. And if you're going to do that, then here are the range of hands that would be profitable to include in that range. And then you look down at your hand, and you're like, okay, well, are, is my hand one of those hands? <laughs> because if it's not, then um, it's actually, uh, you're not, you know, maybe you need to think about putting it in a different bucket right off the beginning. You don't actually have to have a range for every action. Um, you can also say like, I'm just not going to have a, a, a range of hands here that opens and folds to a three bet because I only have eight big blinds. So I'm only ever going to have hands that I'm only going to open and fold, or I'm going to open and shove. And I don't even need to come up with a, a bucket for some of those other scenarios. Um, and we see this when we're open, when we're given the opportunity to open the pot, we could limp. Um, but usually we don't create a bucket for that. We just kind of put all our playing hands in an open raising hand uh, bucket as it were. Uh, an open raising range. So it's not like you have to have every root, every branch of the decision tree covered, but every hand that you choose to play, you should know what's going to happen to it down those different branches. You should have a plan uh, for what's for what's coming, what the different options will be. Rob, do you want to send us off yeah, with think, any other? I think what I think what Eric said is is really in, an interesting way of looking at it because. He talked about understanding how the solvers would play that range, mm. which should inform you as to what buckets those hands belong in. And I believe what Matt Matros is doing here in the poker brain um, is trying to get us to think like a solver when we're doing these things, because that's really what a solver is doing, is putting all your hands and your range into different buckets. They're going to you know, you're going to raise, you know, or you're going to see bet 70% of the time with this hand 
and there's like eight hands that are all the same. And then you're going to check 20% of the time. And, and so the solvers have those frequencies already solved. And what Matt is trying to do is trying to get our brain to think like that so that we're thinking in buckets like a solver would think. So I think what Eric said was very, um, very intuitive that that's what we're trying to do here. Chris? Can I just, and the thing that I think is is important, because I, I hear, I hear that, you know, like, well, why would I need to think like that? Like, why, um, you know, I have, I have pocket nines right now. I don't have pocket aces. So why does it matter how I would play pocket aces when I have pocket nines? Uh, and there's an eight high flop. I've got an overpair and I've got pocket nines. I'm just going to play my pocket nines how I want to play my pocket nines here, right? And like, why does it matter how I play these other hands? But it does actually matter um, because if if you don't have a sense of how you would play all those other hands, it's hard to represent them and it's hard to think about how you're representing them uh, when you're getting to later streets. You know, how would you take, would you play, if, if a... You know, I maybe the aces and nines isn't a good example, but you know, if a jack comes, right, that's going to change the dynamic of 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 you know which hand is is scared of that jack, right? The nines are and the ace, aces aren't, probably. Um, but like, how do you if you're not thinking about that across all the hands that you might be playing? Now you're just reacting and you're playing the hand that you have in front of you rather than trying to construct something that's that tells a good story to your opponent. Right. That's what we're really trying to do. And 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 puts them in a position of not being able to say, ah, I see when the jack came, you got nervous. So you checked back when you were betting before. I can really I basically, you know, I can put you on something here. And if we if we have more of a it may not be the best example, but if we have more of a sense of how our entire range might play across these kinds of segments, we can have a better sense of how to play our that exact hand that we have in the moment. Yeah, Eric? It, our job is to put our opponents in tough situations and make them make mistakes. Um, pretend that all I ever raise is pocket aces. You're going to learn really quick that when I raise that I have pocket aces. Yep. Um, the only way I'm going to get you to call is to have something you can beat in my range. So I might put ace five suited along with my pocket aces. And then that gives you a reason to call. You might think, oh, I can beat your ace five suited with my ace six suited. And then I still can beat you with my aces. Um, and then you just balance that uh, with your bet size um, that we covered in chapter one of this book. Um, yeah, but it's important yeah. to have a bucket that has both value and bluffs in it. And it's easier to do that off the table and kind of think about it mm. before you're in the situation where you have pocket nines and the jack hits the board. What do you do then? Yeah, and I think I like what, what Eric said earlier about um, sort of thinking about it like a solver. It's not like we need to have an infinite number of buckets. But if you set up a solver, usually the way it works is you, you sort of you'll give it three sizes or you'll give it a, you give it the ability to check or to bet in two different sizes. Those are buckets. That's basically what we're doing. We're saying, okay, so pick some hands that you're going to check with, some hands that you're going to bet one third pot, and some hands that you're going to bet pot. And the solver just goes through and you know sorts the hands that it's the most EV to be in these different buckets according to the qualities of that hand. 
And if you gave it three bet sizes, it might spread them out over three bet sizes. If you only gave it one bet size, it might say, okay, well, I'm going to check with these and I'm going to bet with these. Um, that's exactly what we should just be doing ourselves in our minds. It really just comes down to how many different responses do we want to have to any particular decision point and which hands should go in each of those uh, ranges, in each of the ranges of those responses. So um, that's really all it comes down to, just kind of like mapping out the game tree a little bit and thinking about the very predictable circumstances that will come up. And that makes a big difference. And and, it, and I think I like what Eric said too here. It has to happen off the felt because you, you don't have to have all this stuff solved before you get to the table, but you need to have the rough idea figured out so that when you get to the table, you can actually really just pay attention to the hand in your hand because you've got a lot of that other stuff kind of happening automatically in the background. And you don't need to, in the moment, figure out exactly how you'd play every combination of hands that you could have there. But knowing how your range is going to be expressed through these different decision points, it'll make it easier. You'll be more confident. You won't give off as much information. You'll be less predictable to play against. And those are all uh, good qualities when it comes to uh, to winning poker tournaments and, and cash games. Well, any other thoughts here, uh, folks? I thought that was a really good conversation. If you want to learn a lot more about this, uh, come join the book study with Rob. It's every two weeks on the first and third Wednesday of the month. And um, even if you're if it's too late uh, to get in on the ground floor of The Poker Brain by Matt Matros, we're going to be doing a new book in this spring. And all the sessions are recorded and they're in the archives here at Rec Poker. And you can also go into the group uh, discussion area in the forums here and look at all the old slides uh, a lot of the forum posts and comments the spreadsheets and images and documents and things that uh, the members have put up there to help share their ideas uh, as we explore this material so uh, do go check it out um, if you want to try rec poker your first month your first month is only five dollars if you use the code rec poker at sign up and after that it's 15 bucks a month and it makes a big difference to us and i think eric anderson will tell you it's uh gives you access to a lot of this other training material out there that you just can't get as a community member. So we got a thumbs up from Eric there. Thank you, man. And uh, I guess without further ado, I want to thank all our premium members for their support. And of course, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, without whom we couldn't do what we do. Um, everyone on the Wrecking Crew who puts their time in here every month, every week, every day here. Uh, but mostly you, the listeners, because we do it all for you. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for having fun. And we'll see you next week.